All right, so I wanted to ask you your opinion. I have a couple names I was thinking for the title of this one. Okay. Either Hot Water Fail, Simpath Fail, or Hot Water Mouse. <laughs> what was the first one? Uh, hot Water Fail, Simpath Fail, or Hot Water it's, Mouse. What, what, what does the second one mean? Well, the third artist is Simpath. Okay. And it's a mixture of the name Census Fail with Simpath. Uh, Sympath fails. Fail. Or instead of hot water music, hot water mouse. Hot water fail is my favorite. Hot water I fail? I like that one. Okay. I'll take that into consideration. Okay. Alright, I guess we can get going. Hello, welcome to Shuffle. I believe this is going to be episode 10, actually, because of a weird recording thing. I think it's 10. Okay. Please make sure to listen to the five songs that we will be discussing in this week's episode links to Spotify and YouTube playlists can be found in this episode's description. Today I am sitting here with temporary co-host Maxwell Quenell. Welcome to Shuffle. <laughs> Hello Jared. Max is my girlfriend. How would you describe our relationship? Our relationship. Well, we brother-in-law is that too fought much? Fought and numb together. <laughs> yes. We, but that's not where we met. We originally met at the. We found that out later. The stock market, actually, when mm -hmm. we were working the floor selling stocks of orange juice, mm -hmm. and it's all kind of all been history from there. Yeah. Star-crossed yeah. lovers. That might be a better way to put it. I would also agree with everything that you said. Okay. Thus far. Yes. So, uh, what's just a little introduction to you? What? kind of music are you into? Um, I'm a kind of a hip-hop head, I think is the Reddit subreddit. Hip-hop head? Hip-hop head. Hip-hop amodement would be my subreddit. Um, but also like electronic music, I'm very into uh, dubstepy kind of Skrillex adjacent music as well. But a little bit more alternative than that, more like flying low. Fly low is pretty good. You see that uh, David Firth did a music video for him. I did. What was that? I'm trying to remember the name of the song. Um, it was called like Grr. Something like is killing the name. I might be wrong. About that. Yeah, but I did see that, and that was very disturbing. I will post that in the notes for this show. It's a great music video, and little great. interesting connection. For most of the episodes of the show. The background music that plays while we're talking is Locust Toy Box, which is the musical project of David Firth. Really? Yes. Interesting. All comes together. So, I would like to take this opportunity to announce that we have successfully gone 10 episodes without an ICP incident. <laughs> I don't know how well versed you are on the Insane Clown Posse. Uh-huh. Uh, not very. Not very. Well. At this show, we take Insane Clown Posse very seriously. Okay, I've heard this segment. Before. Yes. We've successfully gone 10 episodes without having to review an Insane Clown Posse <laughs> song yet. But in my library of 40,000 songs, there are six Insane Clown Posse albums. Ooh. So it's, it's kind of like a game of Russian roulette. Every time I hit next with the shuffle feature on, it's another click towards an Insane Clown Posse song. It's like 10,000 barrels and like 600 bullets. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I, I like that. Yeah. So we usually take the announcement of the ICP incident 
to segue into everyone's favorite segment, Insane Clown Posse News Corner. Okay. I should have like a little ident of like musical intro of Insane Clown Posse to lead into it. So, I don't know if you heard, back in 2013, this little girl whose name is, it's a weird name, it's like Sapphire, but it's spelled S-A-F-Y-R-E. Her name is Sapphire Terry. Her, this is not a funny or happy story. Just oh, okay. Out. Her and Fire family died in a fire, except for her. Her father, all of her siblings, I, I think her mother. And this year, she said all she wanted for Christmas was to get as many Christmas cards as she could to put on her tree. She's horribly disfigured. And this photo was released along with the statement of everyone send her all your postcard, your Christmas cards. And it, her picture of her dad was holding her and he had a big insane clown posse tattoo on his forearm. Well, Violent J and Shaky Two Dope the two members of Insane Clown Posse saw this and said, oh, she's part of the family and made this big announcement for all juggalos across the nation to send her gifts for Christmas. And they sent her like a bunch of cards with money and Insane Clown Posse like blankets and stuff. So they're pretty cool guys, actually. Oh, see, not so bad. Yeah, the more I'm doing this segment, the more I'm learning that they're actually all right people. <laughs> it's like turning me. They're artistry, but, you know, it's less than desirable, but they're yeah. actually good people. Yeah, I agree. So now into other music news. Trent Reznor just announced that we can expect new Nine Inch Nails music sometime in 2016. As well as, air quotes, other stuff. I don't know. I'm excited. I'm sure you're excited. It's very exciting, yeah. Everyone's excited. There's not much to say about that. Yeah. Another music or music news story, since I know you're a fan of Run the Jewels. I am. I don't know how you feel about Senator Bernie Sanders. Oh, I yeah, also a fan. Okay. So Killer Mike from Run the Jewels recently sat down in his barber shop with Senator Bernie Sanders and had an hour-long conversation with him and recorded all of it and posted it to his YouTube account. Did you see or hear about any I, of that? I heard about it, I didn't see it. Did you watch it? I did, and it's, I like what he did with it. He basically sat down and said, look, this is what I know about you, this is what I know about what socialism is, but I also know that the idea of socialism has kind of been villainized in America. And he's like, and I know a lot of people in the African-American community, they don't know much about it, but they know to not like it. He's like, but that is like fear spawned in ignorance. I want you to sit here and look at me and tell all of my African-American brothers and sisters, what is socialism? Why is everyone afraid of it? So he kind of like just wanted it to break it down on a really easy level for people to understand. And then the conversation goes beyond that, but... okay. I, I'll, I also will post that to the notes with this, but I highly recommend watching it. That's, it's a good video. It's uh, super interesting. I do wonder how Killer Mike got involved politically with Bernie Sanders. Was he just a fan of Bernie Sanders? Yeah, I mean, I think Run the Jewels was one of the first bands to publicly announce and endorse Bernie's campaign. And in the video he mentions, you're unlike any other politician. I can never sit down with any other politician because what he said all he did is he literally tweeted at him. Hey, you want to come talk to me? And 
He showed up. Um, okay. I thought it was pretty cool. Cool. Yeah. So it's the the end of 2015, going into the beginning of 2016. I like to take a moment to talk about our top albums of the year. As of when this is being recorded, my top five albums will have been out already, so I can talk about them with you now. Yeah. So what are your top five? I'll start us off. 2015. So my first album that I have on my list is uh, it's called F uh, FW14 by a kind of unknown duo called Christian Rich. They're a hip hop sort of producer, electronic. I've never heard of them. You've never heard of them. You might have heard some of their music. They've produced music for J. Cole, Childish Gambino, uh, his new album. They actually produced Crawl on Because of the Internet. The first okay, song. yeah. So they did all the, the beats and production for that, for just that, that song. song. Yeah, I think okay. it was, yeah. And then they also did Chum by Earl Sweatshirt. They produced that. The whole album? They produced. Oh no, Chum. that was just a song. What was that? Uh, Doris was the album. Okay, Chum was the single off of that. Chum was okay. the first single. They produced Centurion off that album, which was my favorite song off that album. Um, and they've produced um, stuff for Drake and you know other big name artists. But um, I recently got into them just randomly off of SoundCloud. I heard their song Compromise, which is actually on this album. And uh, cool story, I started following them on Twitter and they followed me back. Oh, wow. That is, I want that on my grave. <laughs> Here lies Max Quinnell, was followed by Christian, Christian Rich, Rich on Twitter. Yeah. I'm super, super proud of that. Um, they're not super popular or big or anything, but yeah, I really, really enjoyed this album. Very electronic, a lot of features and guests from other electronic artists. So, it's electronic but they're a hip-hop duo yeah it's one okay. of those weird fusions of electronic music but hip-hop production that sounds up my alley yeah i will have to check that out um next album is or should we just go back and forth i mean i, I can mention mine mine yeah. i mine were first album or i guess number five was oh did you do a list these are not in any particular that that is completely fine cool. we did it my fifth album was New Bermuda by Def Heaven. They are a black metal shoegaze post-rock band going under the new genre name of Black Gaze. It's kind of gimmicky. My number four album was Grimes' new album, Art Angels. Yes. Really digging that. Number three was Kendrick Lamar's To Pimp a Butterfly. Two was Death Magic by Health. And number one was Garden of Delete by One of Tricks Point Never. Uh, I did hear you mention that uh, album on a previous podcast. I did, and, and uh, I can't recommend it enough. It's your it, number one. It was. It stole the spot from number one of the year. That's crazy. It's a little inaccessible. It's very experimental, but it, it's right up my alley. I would like to take a moment to recognize that a lot of my musical taste stems from you and your girlfriend, my sister, Maddie. So I think pretty much anything that you say as a top album is definitely worth listening. Well, thank you. I, I think you would dig it. It's glitchy. It's catchy still, though. It's kind of abrasive, but I, it's, it's a weird album. He tries to mesh a lot of things together. I think... Even if you don't completely enjoy it, it's worth listening to just for the experience of hearing something you've never heard before. He's he's very original. I will give him that. Have you ever heard of the producer Arca? 
I've heard of Arca, but I've never really listened to Arca. Okay, you, what you're telling me about this album reminds me of Arca's new album, which I've heard Arca's old stuff, which is very more like hip-hop electronic, like uh, Chris and Rich. This new stuff, it is unlike any music I've ever heard, to the point where it is almost too inaccessible even for me, Ooh. which I didn't really know it was possible. I thought I could just be open to most, most any music, but it sounds like Garden of Delete isn't that inaccessible. Yeah, I will say he definitely like teeters on the border, but I think he for the most part stays in the accessibility part. I will, the way that I like to compare him to, one might sell it for you, yeah. is it, don't get me wrong, he doesn't sound like James Blake, but- I do like James Blake. He is like James Blake in that he's so experimental where I feel like one of the hardest parts for me about listening to James Blake was every time I kind of start to get into what he's doing, he changes it. Like it's like constantly changing and it's like <laughs> you you just hit the point of like making something catchy and then you just did something to like jeer to the left really hard and it would like, it was very jarring to me. This guy is very jarring in that he doesn't stay on a single idea too long. Okay. It's constantly changing and evolving as the song goes. I could be into that. Yeah. So what was your, uh, what's your next album? Uh, the next album, uh, in no particular order on my list, is Earl Sweatshirts, I Don't Like Shit, I Don't Go Outside. Okay. So this was a, I don't know. I don't know that I necessarily think this is a particularly great album, especially for Earl Sweatshirt, but I haven't listened to too much music from 2015, and that was a stipulation <laughs> of this list. That's fine. Is that yeah. it has to be from 2015. I was honestly a bit disappointed with this album. You know, honestly, I am too. But I do think that there is enough of Earl trying to do something different from his last, we just talked about Doris, and how that was sort of a, uh, that way, well, it was a return to music for him. I know he was taking a hiatus before that, and how this is so different from his last album, I can appreciate him trying to do something different, even though he doesn't live up to it sure the single off that grief was it's grief was good grief is still a song i will go back to and listen to and i will say something i liked about grief a lot is that it had the most oddly disturbing music video to it yeah i can't place my finger on why it was disturbing but i definitely felt unsettled after watching it there was something just very unsettling about that music video. It's like thermal vision, yeah. but it's like night vision too. Yeah, and it just, it felt gross and grimy and like too close. I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I liked it a lot, but Great music it was video. very interesting. Uh, next on my list is Donnie Trumpet and the Social Experiment Surf. Never heard of them either. Okay, it's so... It's blowing my mind. Uh, well, I think, I, I don't know if I am, because you, you are familiar with Chance the Rapper. They do know Chance the Rapper. They do know Chance the Rapper. So it's normally he might be the build top build person in this group, uh, as far as excessive or you know as far as labeling goes. Oh, so is it like a collective? It's a collective. Chance the Rapper is all over this album. Uh, it came out um, either September, I think, of this year, and it's it's free. It's a free album. You can get it on iTunes for free. And uh, I've been a big fan of Chance the Rapper for a couple of years now and one of the things that got me into him is that his mixtapes are free you can go download 10 days acid rap and um yeah i really think that this album is i think the whole concept behind it is that the california or chicago which is where this band is from 
doesn't have a surfer culture. Oh, so it's like a Chicago-based surf culture yeah. album? Yeah, it's just pop music. It's hip-hoppy pop music, sure. but uh, it's based around this idea of like the yeah surfer bohemian lifestyle. In Chicago. In Chicago. Uh, um, Lake Michigan. Um, <laughs> yeah. I actually haven't listened to too much Chance the Rapper. The one song that I've heard by him that I really dig, though, is actually his feature on Skrillex's Recess album. Oh, I haven't heard that. I remember the name of the song. It's a really great song. Maddie really digs that track too. Mm. It he doesn't it's not so much a rap. Kind of sings on it more so than rapping. I've tried and then after hearing that I tried to find more of his stuff, but I noticed he's not on Spotify at all. Oh yeah. He's so that kinda not that I couldn't find other <laughs> venues to listen to him, but like I kinda just I hit a roadblock and then I kind of moved on to something else, but I've always meant to check him out more. Uh, I highly recommend he was just on SNL like two weeks ago performing. Very, very good. Was it as him or was it as this collective? No, it was just uh, Chance the Rapper. Okay. Uh, they did do a song from this album. It was almost my song that I picked to recommend off this album. I, the song that I'm going with is called Go, which is such a um, kind of throwback, funky kind of pop vibe. But Sunday Candy is probably the like single single off this album that most people would know or think it's not. Did you recommend a song off of Christian Rich? Oh well, it. Compromise was the song that got me into them, and I think okay. it's the best song on the album, or my okay. favorite song. I, think. I just noticed I didn't. Okay. Cool. Yeah. All right, what's next? We got um, Vince Staples' Summertime 06. All pretty much all of these have been hip-hop or hip-hop adjacent music, and this is no exception. Um, I actually haven't heard this entire album, so I can't fully endorse it. <laughs> but um, uh, the song, the single off of this is one of the best, um, it's a great song, one of the best music videos I've seen all year, you know, and possibly ever. It's about a um, tattooed priest in the hood who is um, sort of, have you seen it? I have not. And he, uh, he's going through and he's doing this future um, sample of like uh, kind of preaching and his followers, but then they, everybody who's walking behind him gets killed as he goes um, to the end of the block. You see all these sort of um, fucked up uh, conditions that the hood is in. And, and at the end of the block, he, you see uh, the man getting pressed up against the glass. And uh, we see a white family sort of observing from this other side of the glass sort of it's a very political and charged. Yeah, super commentary. It's very, very, very good. Great song, great music video. Also produced by Christian Rich. Interesting. Yeah, so nice little together. Nice time. Lots of checking out, too. That music video sound, I'll, I can post that, too. It sounds like short, uh, something worth watching. Definitely. All right, what's your last album? Last album, you already mentioned it Kendrick Lamar's Two Pimp a Butterfly. Butterfly. Can we say anything? That hasn't already been said. I'm sure about this great I'm album. I'm sure we can. I, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. It feels, it feels like you're listening to an important album when you're listening to it. Like even if you're not fully comprehending all of the references and the cultural importance, you just feel like, oh, this is something. This is something I should people should be listening to. <laughs> Sonically, there's something about it that really is so different. It's crazy the amount of work that like went into that it, it it just feels like there was such an undertaking 
with that album. I mean, when you hear about the sort of lengths that they went to to keep this album, it's like closed door, like J.J. Abrams shit of like, this song does not leave this room. Sure. Like none of this stuff is getting out or leaking early. And for great reason, because holy, holy shit. Paid off. What's your favorite track? Off favorite track is All Right. We gonna be all right. We gonna be all right. <laughs> it's a great, that, that song, they just put out a music video for that, didn't they? Because I know that's kind of blowing up right now. Yep. Yeah, that's a pretty good music video too. Um, a lot I haven't of, seen it yet. A lot of commentary there also. I recommend it. Put it with Senorita. Kendrick Lamar is a little bit more subtle than Vince Staples. Vince Staples is pretty heavy handed with the like, <laughs> <laughs> with all this really like intense grotesque imagery. And you Kendrick. should feel guilty, white people. <laughs> but then Kendrick's kind of just like floating above the street and you're like, oh, this like means something, but it's also pretty yeah. to look at. Great. So other than the, these top five albums, is there anything you've been listening to lately you'd like to talk about or you've been digging? Um, I'm always um, on SoundCloud. I, uh, I I follow a lot of artists on SoundCloud. Actually, recently, my roommate burned me the Cashmere Cat EPs, the two EPs he has, uh, he has out. Have you heard of Cashmere Cat? This is your roommate's music? No, he just burned me the oh, CD. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was like, Cashmere Cat does sound familiar. <laughs> my roommate's a famous. <laughs> he produces Ferrari. Sure. Around, eh? I haven't listened to Cashmere Cat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very um, experimental, sort of uh, grand, uh, lush, instrumental electronic beat. Very, very into it right now. Also hip-hop still? Or just... Borders on hip-hop. I wouldn't necessarily describe it as hip-hop, but yeah. Is it instrumental? Completely. It's instrumental, uh, but, you know, occasionally features singers. Okay. On song. Specifically, the song "Mirror Mirror Maru." Uh, that's hard to spell, but. Cashmere Cat Mirror Maru. I uh, highly recommend that. Right, I'll have to check it out. I've been listening to an album kind of snuck in on my peripheral. I didn't realize it had been released until I'd already put together my list. <laughs> mm. Maynard James Keenan, lead singer of Tool and A Perfect Circle. Mm. He has a solo project called Pussifer. Yeah. Which is the combination of Pussy and Lucifer. He put out a new album this year called Money Shot, and it's actually really good. It might be the best thing he's put out under the Pussifer moniker, at least. I still think I prefer Tool and A Perfect Circle a bit more. It's not as new metally as those albums were it's a lot more it's kind of whatever he wants to do he created the project just to experiment with so i call it alt rocky okay a little bit of western influence at times but also heavily electronic at times it's a little all over the place it's not that coherent but you can tell he's just having fun doing what he wants to do with his friends in the studio was this the um, project that he did the cover of Bohemian yes. Rhapsody? Yes. The he did? Ba- yes. Bohemian, his Bohemian Rhapsody cover was under the Pussifer moniker off of the EP called Donkey, Donkey Punch. Punch the Night, yeah. I believe. <laughs> yes. Yeah. All, all of his albums are extremely maturely titled <laughs> Money Shot, B is for Vagina, C is for Genitalia, or C is for genitalia basically the word cunt but without saying it gotcha genitalia representative word or something (laughs) like that second album was conditions for my parole it's got a sense of humor i like it 
I guess with that, we can move on to the first song on our list, mm. which is Moments Pass by Hot Water Music. Mm. This is off their 1999 EP, Moon Pies for Misfits. Hot Water Music are a melodic punk, kind of post-hardcore, emo-core, early emo music from Gainesville, Florida. I know it probably doesn't sound like what you think emo music sounds like when it comes to your mind. Right. Emo kind of started up in the 80s, and this is kind of what it sounded like. I would say the vocals are very not, but the guitar work and the structure of the song is kind of early first wave emo, I guess is the best way to put it. Okay. The name Hot Water Music comes from a collection of short stories by the poet Charles Bukowski. The book called Hot Water Music, and it's a collection of minimalist short stories about drinking, women, gambling, and writing. I think it's a little unoriginal to have a song named after Charles Bukowski's song, but that's just me. Mm -hmm. I learned that from looking this band up, all of their album art looks like it's done by the same artist, and it's by this guy named Scott Sinclair, who, interestingly, it was the art director for the Bioshock team. Oh, check that out. So yeah, and you can kind of see it like, cause Bioshock kind of has that 1920s yes. fountainhead feel to it. And all their album art kind of looks a bit dated like that, like the roaring 20s. Yeah, so uh, what are, what do you think of Moments Pass? Um, I generally thought it was an okay song. I wasn't crazy about it. Actually, I'm gonna do an experiment. Jared, I just want you, and you can edit this out if it doesn't work. Just read um, my first thoughts, just that little part there. Those are my first thoughts that I wrote. Yeah. I'm feeling an alt-rock vibe. Scream vocal style. These could be Bob Seger lyrics. Let's throw caution to the wind. Roll on full force. Very positive messages filtered through a gravel scream. This reminds me of Matt Foley. I think that sums up my thoughts and feelings perfectly. You're making me do all your work. For me. <laughs> it just you say it so yeah. much better. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, just specifically how it's very alt rock, the guitar and things that yeah. you, you say. And then the the vocals are so harsh. They're very harsh. Very very it's harsh. Almost a bit distracting. I feel at least with like a message that's kind of positive that yeah. they're trying to get at. Like fortune cookies. He's just like reading a bunch of fortune cookies and it's like be. super... No, that, that, that's a good point. I, I agree. I um, The guitar work is very in that alt-rock, post-hardcore, early emo style, but the lyrics feel like a traditional punk song. There's kind of a disconnect, I feel, between the two. And... They said, the band themselves said that the song is about taking advantage of the time we have with our friends and loved ones now, mainly because we never know what tomorrow will unfold. And I agree that it's exactly what, if you read the lyrics at least, I feel like with a song like this though, you can't really listen to the lyrics that well because of the delivery. No, I, I completely agree. One thing I did like about the lyrics is I liked how the last two lines of the song, he just talks, like he kind of trails off. Because <laughs> he kind of like takes in a deep breath to scream the last line of the song. And it's like he lost <laughs> all of his energy, so the last two lines of the song are just delivered like this. 
thought it was kind of funny. Back Trying to see. Um, I do like that it's kind of like a simple, straightforward, no bullshit song. Like it's this guy like saying like, Hey, life is short. Let's spend more time together. <laughs> fucking love your family. Yeah, yeah. fucking do it, man. <laughs> now, it has a nostalgic feel to it. And it is interesting that they did scream all the words in this because the lyrics aren't angry and the, the, the growl doesn't feel that angry either. It just feels like, why are you screaming these? Yep. Other than maybe you're just very passionate about spending time <laughs> together. I don't know. It, passionate delivery. It was an, yeah, it was an all right song overall. I don't know if I would listen to it outside of being assigned. <laughs> the to need to for, listen to it? After hearing it once, I don't know if I'd be like putting that on a playlist for later. I agree. I feel like they were going for this really kind of fleeting indie movie feel, yeah. but the delivery just does not match the sentiment at all. Nope. And in, and in a sense, that's kind of cool, I think. But it also, like, I like what you are trying to do, but do it better. <laughs> exactly. And I, I do believe. This is from very early on in their career. Okay. So I'm not that familiar with Hot Water Music's discography, but they're a very successful and popular band. So I feel like they probably grew and learned and evolved past this sound. Yeah. This was like their I don't like shit, I don't go outside. Exactly. Album where it's just a stepping stone. It's a stepping stone. It's a transitional. And it's an EP too. Like, okay. it's it's a very hard to find EP. The only way you can really listen to it these days is they have a collection of B-sides and rarities. So, there's a reason why this never made it onto an official LP. Oh, any other thoughts on this song? Um, just that the Matt Foley, in case... Um, you don't or don't I remember. I don't know who Matt Foley So that's the Chris Farley character uh, from SNL. Oh, the who hikes his motivational pants up speaker. And lives down by the river. Yeah, <laughs> living in a van. <laughs> down by. The, that's exactly who is singing the song. Okay. It's now just, that you say that, I don't think I will ever be able to listen to the song <laughs> again without seeing Chris Farley <laughs> kind of squatted over, waving his arms Which back and forth. Which almost perfectly encapsulates the song of this person who is trying to convey a positive message through Motivate. The, to motivate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But just is totally not, it's just missing the Just mark. missing every mark and it ends with him falling on the table. <laughs> yeah. I forgot. I didn't know his name was Matt Foley. Yep. Okay. Because I, I think originally when you said that, I thought of Mick Foley, the WWF wrestler. Wasn't oh. it like the guy with the sock on his hand? Wasn't his name Mick Foley? I'm not familiar with uh, WWF. I'm more of a WWE. WCW. Are we talking about wrestling right yeah, now? Yeah, professional wrestling. Oh, um, then yeah, I don't know any wrestling. <laughs> I was trying to lie and then you oh, called okay. me out. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, well, I guess with that. We can move on to our next song, All Is Full Of Love by York. I did learn that the name is technically pronounced Yerk, like the <laughs> word jerk, but with a B in front of it. Yerk. Yes. Yerk. This is off of Yerk's 1997 <laughs> album, Homogenic. York, Yerk. This came out in 97. It did. It's an old song. She was ahead of the time. She, I thought this was like 2007. She's 
She's very revolutionary. And she's, then, she's always been pushing boundaries on it. Like, she's been around a long time. Yeah. Very long time. The music video for this is very... Well, and the, the music video for this was very ahead of its time also. We'll, we'll talk about that because yeah. I do have things I want to say about that. So for any of you who aren't familiar, Bjork Bjork is an experimental singer-songwriter, multi-instrumentalist from Reykjavik, Iceland. She kind of jumps all over the spectrum of genres, dabbles in electronic dance, trip-hop, jazz, rock, classical, avant-garde, alternative. She, she kind of tries everything. From 1986 to 1992, she was the lead singer of the Icelandic alt-rock band called the Sugar Cubes. That's what kind of brought her into at least some sort of success where people knew about her. Though, she did put out her very first album at the age of 11. Wow. I found out. She did like a cover of... Uh, Icelandic folk song and sang it at a singing contest at her school and everyone thought she did so well that they contacted a, a recording studio and she got a record contract and she put out an album of like traditional Icelandic folk tales at the age of 11. Do you still get a hold of that? I'm Sit sure. On. I don't know if like Sit you on. can get physical copies of it anymore but I'm sure it digitally exists out Do there. You Spotify it? It is not on Spotify. Okay. It's self-titled, it's just called Bjork. And then after her stint with the Sugar Cube, she began her solo career as the Bjork we know in 1993. And she's been widely credited as one of the artists to introduce electronic music into like the mainstream consciousness, I guess is the best way to put it. Another interesting fact about her, she as well as composing, writing, and producing the soundtrack for this movie starred in Lars von Trier's yes. film Dance from the Dark. Have you ever seen it? I have not seen that particular movie, but after listening to this song and seeing the music video, I'm not surprised at all that that should be attracted to a Lars von Trier yes. film. Yeah, I mean, it's not like in the antichrist wheelhouse of his movies okay it's i have seen that okay so it's it's, <laughs> it's not antichrist it's not nymphomaniac either. i have also seen that. it's i mean it's still extremely dark and drama filled but it is not as violent and sexually angry i guess <laughs> it's a good movie okay she uh i think she got nominated for some awards there, for it. I, I would oscar do we want to it might be. I can't. I should have done better research. I think it might have been an Oscar, at least nominated for. So, have you heard about Ricardo Lopez? I haven't. So, interesting thing that happened to Bjork. In 1996, she had an obsessive fan slash stalker named Ricardo Lopez. He was a Uruguayan American living in Florida. And he was completely obsessed with Bjork. And he was also extremely racist. At the time, Bjork started dating this African, I don't know if he was American, I think he was British actually, a black electronic artist named Goldie. And it made this Ricardo Lopez go crazy because he thought Bjork was this, this perfect angelic being. And how could she, how could she date a black man? And, not use the word black man. I'll tell you that much. And 
he could not come to terms with it, so he felt like he had no choice but to kill her and then himself. So, and he recorded this whole process on video. He videotaped himself slipping into insanity, can, putting together this plan, and then eventually killing himself. He decided that Whoa. he would make this book and he somehow got a hold of Bjork's personal home address and would mail the book to her. And when she opened it, it had a spring trap in it that would spray sulfuric acid all over her face. And he said, like, hopefully if it doesn't kill her, it'll at least disfigure her. So he videotaped himself over the course of a year, building this device, giving all these crazy monologues into the camera. And then the, the tapes end with him shaving his head, painting his face, listening to a Bjork album and on the very last note of the song putting a gun in his mouth and blowing his brains out. And like he wrote this note on the on the wall saying these tapes are for the FBI make sure they get a hold of it. And the FBI like took it and they eventually released it and this Danish filmmaker got a hold of the tapes and edited it down into a 70 minute documentary about this guy. You can find it online if you're interested. I was planning on there's like a little, just a little like teaser clip of it on YouTube that I was gonna post in the notes for this show. Just if you're curious, it doesn't have any of the graphic stuff in it. But I'll just tell you if if you want to watch it, it's out there. <laughs> it's very disturbing, but it's very interesting at the same time. So, and the most tragic part of it is. He never knew this. The day that he mailed the bomb out to her... Did it work? No. Okay. Before the book could even get to her recording studio, which would have been the people that had then forwarded it to her, the FBI had seen the tapes and stopped it, found the bomb, disarmed it, so mm. she never got it. But the day he mailed it out, Goldie and Bjork broke up. <laughs> and he never knew about it. So yeah, the book never reached her, but she's very troubled by it. A couple statements she made about it. It's terrible, very terrible. It's a very sad thing that someone would shoot his face off. I make music, but in other terms, you know, people shouldn't take me too literally and get involved in my personal life. I was very upset that somebody had died. I couldn't sleep for weeks. And I'd be lying if I said it didn't scare the fuck out of me. That I could get hurt, and most of all that my son could get hurt. Prior to that, for her first two solo albums, she had this very cute pixie look that she was going for, this very kind of like adorable, innocent thing. And after this happened, it really changed her. Her music took a very introspective dive. She dropped the cute pixie look and went for like the really weird, experimental, kind of Lady Gaga-esque dress that she wears sometimes. Her music became a lot more personal and serious, experimental too. And this album that All Is Full of Love is on, called Homogenic, was the first album she put out after this experience happened to her. Richard Lopez, is that his name? Ricardo Lopez. Ricardo Lopez. The Homogenic is Bjork's first conceptually self-contained album. It's regarded as one of her most experimental and extroverted works to date. She wanted Homogenic to have a conceptual focus on her native Iceland. Like she wanted the music to sound like the landscape of Iceland. She wanted it to sound 
very like a dichotomy. She wanted it to sound rough like volcanoes, but like a rough volcano with soft moss growing over it. She wanted it to like feel contradictive. She said, in Iceland, everything revolves around nature, 24 hours a day, earthquakes, snowstorms, rain, ice, volcano eruptions. The number of people, oh sorry, volcano eruptions, geysers, very elementary and uncontrollable. But on the other hand, Iceland is incredibly modern. Everything is high tech. The number of people owning computers there are as high as anywhere else in the world. And that contradiction is also unhomogenic. The electronic beats are the rhythm and heartbeat of the album, but the violins create an old-fashioned atmosphere, the coloring of the album. So it's supposed to be this, like, battle. Yeah. So, and actually the version of All is Full of Love that you listened to for this is not the original version of the song that appeared on her album. The album that, the version that was used in the song was the original version of the song that Bjork produced herself, and it's a trip-hop version of the song. The version that's on the album was actually remixed and produced by this guy named Howie B, and it is a ambient, minimalist version of the song. I personally think the one in the video, the one that you listened to, is superior to it. Okay. It's just, I like the trip-hop beats. I like the complexity. The other version, it feels like it's missing. Yeah. So, what did, uh, what did you think of All Is Full Of Love? Um, for that, Dancer in the Dark was nominated uh, for Best uh, Original Song. Oh, so it was her soundtrack that soundtrack. won the... Soundtrack. No okay. performances. But she did compose it with uh, Lars von Trier, I guess. Interesting. Um, Jared, what did I think of the <laughs> Bjork song? Okay, I'll, t- I'll tell you This what is shorter thought. than the last one. It's like the shortest one. Interesting beat. Robotic music video. This is what Bjork is? Robots in love metaphor? Very hypnotic and creepy. Yep. Um, I having now realized, or having you informed me that this was released in 1997, uh, does really give it a new sort of, you know, the historical context of it. Like, she was so ahead of her time. I really honestly thought that this was a couple of years ago. You know, at the most, 2007. Yeah. But um, seeing, hearing the story of Ricardo Lopez and how that affected her, you can sort of um, really see that the sort of dark rose in her start to blossom in this. I agree. Like, it, that adds a whole other part to the story that you never would have realized. Absolutely. Do you think she ever saw that documentary about him? I doubt it. Yeah. I feel like for me, like the second I heard about this, the first thing I wanted to do was watch it because I was just like morbidly intrigued. <laughs> I feel like most people, especially boner. someone who like goes through that, are like, <laughs> I just want to forget it. I don't want to be reminded of it sure. ever. I just want it to be over. Maybe she has. She's never made a statement about having seen it. Right. And, Another, I don't know why someone would do this, but someone recently acquired the rights to write a musical about this guy's story. Wow. I don't know why you'd want to do that. I don't know who would want to see that, but there's allegedly a musical in the mix about Ricardo Lopez Uh, and Bjork. Very interesting. Let's see, about this song, she had a lot to say. She said that that song's from a moment when I had a pretty rough winter and then it was the spring morning and I walked outside. 
and the birds were singing. Spring is here. I wrote the song and recorded it in half a day. It just clicked. You know, you're being stubborn. Don't be so silly. There's love everywhere. She also said, because this album is supposed to also be about Ragnarok. I don't know if you know what that is. No. It's the idea of when the gods get upset with humans and they destroy the earth to punish them. Okay. So this album is supposed to have this like idea of gods destroying the earth for it to be rebuilt. So she said, You have this saga where the gods get aggressive and the world explodes and everything dies and then the sun comes up and everything starts over again. Referring to Ragnarok. The track that precedes this one on the album, which is called Pluto, stands for that destruction, whereas All is Full of Love stands for the new beginning, like the birds coming out after a thunderstorm. And I can, I can definitely hear that in the song. I, I love this song. I think it's intricately beautiful. I love the trip-hop beat over her, like, the harp samples. Yeah. I love how quiet Bjork's vocal, like, vocal delivery starts and it kind of grows and grows and gets very loud as it, like, it goes to the end of the song. And I feel like the music video even adds more to this song. So what, what did you think of the music video? So the music video, um, it looks like iRobot. Yes. And I really was trying to understand the connection between it's, you know, creepy and hypnotic, I think, are the two first words that came to mind because two robots are being sort of constructed in a laboratory and then they uh, eventually start kissing at the end, which it's hard to really understand the significance of that on just like a first viewing, but something about, um, I guess hearing that love is everywhere and where she was in her life, it kind of gives it more context. Yeah, like a uh, hard robotic exterior, like being melted away by Yeah, it, yeah. So for anyone who hasn't seen it, a little quick description. It's directed by this guy named Chris Cunningham, who's a brilliant director. He did a bunch of music videos for Aphex Twin, Square Pusher, music, a lot of electronic artists. So the video depicts the assembling of a robot with Bjork's features on it, and then her passionately kissing another robot with her face on it, all against an ethereal and sterile backdrop. They're being built, there's all these intercuts of like really intricate close-up shots of robots building other robots with like this milky colored water <laughs> dripping over it. I think near the end, one of the Bjork robots while they're kissing the other Bjork robot, starts to slide its hand down towards the pelvis area of the other robot. Yeah. It's it's weird, but it's beautiful. And it's, hypnotic's a good word, because there's like calming nature to it. Yeah. It's like a forced calm, which is like what hypnosis is. is like, I demand you to be calm, <laughs> almost. <laughs> There is something to be said about self-love, realizing that it's both, it's, she's kissing herself. Yes. Yeah, because, yeah, it's supposed to, I think she said, like, it's loving yourself, loving others. It's just recognizing that there's love in everything. And yes, there's, I didn't even really think of that idea of self-love, but it's very blatant. Because she is yeah. literally making out with herself in a heavy robot si <laughs> Heavy symbolism. And this song's been covered by a bunch of artists, too. The one that stands out to me is Death Cab for Cutie actually did a really good cover of the song. I will post that if anyone's interested in hearing it. Any other thoughts on All is Full of Love? 
Uh, no, not really. Just a great song. All right. Agreed. Let's move on to Pond Life by Sympath. Off the 2005 album Left Coast Liquid Volume 1. Sympath are a down-tempo, ambient duo consisting of two electronic artists, Noah Pred and Nisako Ripple. Noah Pred is a Canadian deep house and techno producer, remixer, and DJ. So he's Canadian, but he's living and based out of Berlin. And Nisako Ripple is a DJ based in British Columbia, Canada. From what I gathered, the collective known as Sympath have only ever put out three songs, all appearing on compilation albums put out by the now defunct Native State Records, which are the people that put out this Left Coast Liquid album. Native State Records was started by a highly acclaimed downbeat ambient dub producer whose name is Edin Blue Tech. He goes by the name Blue Tech. He's pretty big in that world. That record company since shut down. There's never a Left Coast Liquid Volume 2. Other than that, I can't fucking find anything out about these guys. <laughs> I had to dig deep to even find out that much about uh. them. So I really, I don't know any... This Native State Records put out three compilation albums. On all three of them, Sympath appears with a new song. So it, it sounds like basically these two independent guys got together to make a song for each of these compilation releases. Do either of them have like a music career outside of Sympath? Allegedly. I can't find any albums by them, but they, they must be known somewhere. I think they're mostly like days for hire, it, I kind of gathered. I couldn't really find any of their other music other than Sympath. So Left Coast Liquid Volume 1, it's a compilation of down-tempo, ambient, dub, side-trance, side-ient, side-ient music. For anyone curious, side-trance equals psychedelic trance music. Side-ient is psychedelic ambient music, and side-ient is psychedelic dance. So you say ambient. No, I say ambient, you say ambient. Ambient, ambient. Okay. I'm trying to think what... I think I usually say ambient. But okay. ambient makes more sense. You know, with this Minnesota accent, it just ambient, ambient yeah, ambient. just sounds great. Oh yeah. yeah. So what did uh? Let, let's see what you thought. Yeah, I'm so really yeah. excited for you to. This is my favorite one. This is. I like yeah, this. I that, yeah. Okay. Pond life. Instrumental track. Nice. This could be video game music. Like Sonic 2 Adventure, or Sonic Adventure 2 Knuckles level. Very ambient. The ambient. 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 Good homework music. Like many ambient tracks, the song builds over time. Trippy psychedelic sound. Sound effects. Sound fix. Eastern drum. Or a racing video game where you're just looking at the different cars. Oh, like in the menu when you're yeah. scrolling by when all like the cars? Before the level, you're like picking which car you want to use to race. I can I can definitely see that. Yeah, that's the first thing I thought of. I dig it. Yeah. Um, I was hoping that there would be a longer song on this playlist. The first three songs, first two songs weren't that long, and so I was a little like, oh, is it just going to be sort of a, a shorter playlist? 
um, last time we almost did this once before, and um, there was some longer songs. I think there was like one like twelve minute song. It was. And there was it's an actually song. yeah. There's an. It was um, merciless. Yeah. And it is borderline Eruption. fifteen minutes yeah. long. Yep. Yep. By yep. Boris. Yep. And uh, that was. And I was like, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna be slightly disappointed that we don't have some kind of super kind of weird crazy out there track. Not that this is super out there, but it is a bit longer. It's on the fringes. Yeah. yeah. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it too. I, I don't have a ton to say about it because it's just chill as fuck. That's what super I wrote chill. down. It's just super <laughs> chill. It definitely has like a dub reggae vibe to it. The drum, yeah. Well, yeah, the drum. Yeah, it's like got this tribal drum. There's just like the hint of like a B3 organ, like a reggae organ that kind of comes in and out quietly in the background. As much as it's a song, I feel like it's also kind of just like a soundscape being tied together by some minimal percussion. It's, it's just very atmospheric. It really should be tied with something visual, honestly. Agreed. It, it feels like it could really with its purposes. There's a website called Wondering Sound that um, does reviews for or fringe music like this. And a guy named Robert Phoenix reviewed this album in his description of what it made him think of I thought resonated very well he says Ernest Kallenbach penned the 1975 cult classic novel Ecotopia in which Northern California Oregon and Washington State succeed and close their borders off from the rest of the country holistic practices and rituals abound in this new location a reconnection with the feminine ensues, and a new paradigm grows in the luxury of isolation. Lefko's Liquid Volume 1 is the sonic equivalent of that imaginary culture. The common themes of the stunning compilation is a, uh, is a sympathetic vibration, a renaissance rooted in deep ecology of sounds that reverberate through the spines of the West Coast, a vibrant culture that embraces yoga and meditation as readily as glitches and grooves. The rest of the country should listen and on this little slice of utopia. I, I really dig that. Yeah, it is and it feels like the it sounds like this connection of nature and synthetic. Yeah. Organic and synthetic melding. If this was Mass Effect 3, <laughs> it, would be it would be the that, the green <laughs> ending. <laughs> it's it well in that description then it's similar to the Bjork a little bit of um, her sort of trip hop. Yeah, that's a good point. And then the Ragnarok influence. And the strings and whatnot. I didn't I didn't put that connection together. That's good. I'm just realizing it now as you're yeah. reading that. No, I dig it. It's chill. It's hard to I found it was hard to like sit down and listen to and just focus on it. Yes. Like like you said, it needed something visual. I need it needs to be in the background. It needs to be paired with something. Yeah. Yeah. Picking cars. Picking cars. Or in a racing game. <laughs> searching for crystals and knuckles. Yeah. Oh, so you're talking about in Sonic Adventure 2 Battle yeah. on the Knuckles levels where there was like a guy rapping about <laughs> pumpkins. <laughs> yeah. I feel like you yeah. did. There could be either a freestyle or even just the beat alone would be perfect for like, where the fuck is this one crystal? No, I, I definitely can totally see that. You get that. Yes. Sonic Adventure. That was a great game. Was it? Yeah. 
<laughs> I think it was. Save it for the game, game Jared. This <laughs> okay, is the wrong I'm sorry. Gotta stay on focus. So let's, with that, move on to the next song, unless you have anything else. Interstate 8 by Modest Mouse, off the 1996 EP, Interstate 8. It is also featured on the Rarities and B-Sides collection by Modest Mouse, the 2000 album, Building Nothing Out of Something. Modest Mouse is an indie rock band from Issaquah, Washington. The band's name is derived from a passage from the Virginia Woolf story, The Mark on the Wall. The passage reads, I wish I could hit upon a pleasant track of thought, a track indirectly reflecting credit upon myself, for those are the pleasantest of thoughts, and very frequent in the minds of modest, mouse-colored people, who believe genuinely that they dislike to hear their own praises. Modest Mouse. Modest Mouse, just so you guys know, the listeners, is ranked number five on my most listened to artist <laughs> of all time, according to my last FM account. A little over 1,400 plays to date, and I've seen them live twice. If anyone's interested, Interstate 8 is an actual highway that is found in the southwestern United States running from the southern edge of San Diego, California, all the way to the southeast of Casa Grande, Arizona. Though I don't believe that the Interstate 8 referenced in the song is actually about that interstate. I'll get into that later. Yes. Interstate Interstate 8 was the second EP that Modest Mouse ever released and it was actually their second release of all time this was the second thing they ever put out it predated their very first LP so this is early Modest Mouse the female vocals in the song belong to a woman named Nicole Johnson who is believed to either have been married to Calvin Johnson who was the founder of K Records which Modest Mouse put their first stuff out on he also was a producer on a lot of the earlier tracks so it's either believed that she was his husband, she was his brother, or that they're not related at all and it's just coincidental. So no one knows who the hell she is, actually. She did appear on a lot of the early Modest Mouse tracks doing background vocals, though, as did Calvin Johnson. So, I guess yeah. let's find out what you thought about yeah, please. Interstate 8. Ooh, cool guitar. I uh, spent 18 hours waiting stoned for space, which is a lyric from the song. And Max believes, been there, buddy. Screaming poetry chorus. Yeah, this was, um, I didn't have much to say about this one. Um, My first impressions. When you do research um, for these, for bands like stuff, do you get more out of the music after the fact? Maybe, indirectly. I don't do it to enrich my listening experience of the songs. I just find stuff like that fascinating. I don't. I like dumb facts about bands. Right. You're not doing it to like necessarily understand more about the music, but the process of uh, the creation of stuff like this. Exactly. Exactly. Because yeah, I feel like if a band wanted you to know more about a song, they probably would have like made statements about it. I feel. Musicians usually want you to just interpret their music right. as it is. Standalone. So I usually try to formulate my opinions on it before I delve into what, try to research what they think about it, just because I find it interesting. I don't do it to try to change the way I listen to it. 
Yeah, so it, not to go back to the Bjork song again, but it is more interesting to go from never, from not knowing anything about it to seeing knowing. it and experiencing it, and then to knowing and being like, oh, all this other stuff played into it. Yeah. That transition is also very interesting, I think. I agree wholeheartedly. Um, Modest Mouse, I'm not overly familiar with them. I, I know that, like you say, you're a big fan of them, mm-hmm. and I, I know a lot of people who are. Um, it is, when you say that this is like their second release ever, I kind of feel that. Yeah. You, there's a rawness to it. They haven't fully grabbed onto a specific sound or anything yet. Um, it's definitely the precursor to the Modest Mouse sound, over, even though I'm not overly familiar with it. Sure. No, I, you, you hit the nail on the head. Like, yeah. it sounds like early Modest Mouse. There's like a, juvenileness to it like yeah the screaming and the rawness to the recording and I, I like it but it does feel like it's they haven't sounds like it was recorded in one big room yes and they they're not quite polished yet they haven't found their sound exactly so the song appears to be about spending time being stuck doing something that feels hopeless or endless so the interstate 8 he's singing about it's like a big figure eight shaped road, an infinity symbol, a never ending road. Some people from my research seem to think that it's simply just about how hopeless and endless life is, which I wouldn't put past Isaac Brock, lead singer of Modest Mouse. He's kind of a cynical, nihilistic bastard at times. Some people think that it's about like a specific relationship and being in a hopeless relationship with someone. Which makes sense because of the references to, like, you're an angel with an amber halo. Yep. With the devil's pitchfork. This song, it's full of interesting contradictions, which is also a very Isaac Brock thing to do. Mm-hmm. Like, singing about, I'm driving on a road shaped like a figure eight. I'm going nowhere, but I'm guaranteed to be late. <laughs> you know, you know that a ball has no side, which is like, I think a way of saying like there's no point to something. A ball has no point. This is pointless. This is a ball with no side. It's all hopeless. You're an angel with an amber halo, black hair, and the devil's pitchfork. So you're an angel and a devil at the same time. It's a very, it's a very Isaac Brock thing to do. Like he's named albums like, no one's first and you're next, and we're strangers to ourselves. Like he loves doing shit like that. Contradiction. Exactly. And uh. I do, I agree with your statement about the guitar. I love the guitar in this. And at that right there, I will say something interesting about listening to an early Modest Mouse song like this, is they have a very distinct guitar sound that has followed them throughout their career. And I find it very interesting to hear that sound in this early release. Because you can go to their album that just came out this year in 2015, and that guitar guitar sound is still, it's, they've, claimed it as their own yes and uh i think isaac's vocal performance is fantastic i think it kind of sounds like he's trying to sound angry and upset but he just kind of gives up like it's like he tries to yell but it kind of just gets exasperated and gives up which is kind of that adds to the idea of the hopelessness of the lyrics i relate so much to that yeah it's like you're starting to get angry and you just can't uh, fucking do it and you just what's give the point up. Of it exactly. It's like you're getting angry from the pointlessness to it all, and then you find pointlessness in that anger. Even in as the itself. anger. It's like this snowball effect of 
hopelessness. In there, girl. Been there, girl. Yeah, that's why. That's why I wrote. Uh, been there, buddy. Spent 18 hours waiting still in his face. Yeah. I will say one thing. I kind of disliked about the song, and I like this part of the song, but I feel like it doesn't fit. Is the jam at the end of the song? Oh. It kind of gets jammy. Like they're having like early Modest Mouse. They tended to do that a lot, where it's like, okay, we gotta fill three minutes. Let's just jam. Like fish mover. <laughs> and I like the jam, I think they're good at it. But the idea of this song is like kind of bleak and I feel like the jam adds a little too much of a happy ending note on it. It's very just my two cents. Give you that. Yeah. Any other thoughts? Mmm no. Alright. Move on to our last track then. Woo! Bloody Romance by Census Fail. This song really brought me back to like 10th grade. <laughs> Sitting at a stupid house party listening to a shitty emo band do a cover of this song. So the band is Senses Fail. Yes. Got you. Yes. It could it could go either way with a song I, like this. With the music video, I was like, so yeah. it's like My Chemical <laughs> Romance? So, yeah. I, for some reason, every shitty high school emo band that I ever saw play this is the song they covered. This was really? like this was like the high water mark that they were all aiming for. Oh. Census Fail used to be big. Like I would call them poster boys of the third wave emo scene or like the pop emo scene. Yes. So Bloody and which is interesting, because Bloody Romance is actually off their early EP. It never actually made it onto any of their actual releases. This is off their 2002 EP From the Depths of Dreams which was their first release ever. So this is this is an album full of early music and people's discographies. I just this is, realized. yeah, <laughs> we have a theme. So Census Fail, post-hardcore emo band from New York City. As you might have gathered, this is a very different sound than Hot Water music, even yeah. though they both fall under the post-hardcore emo. Oh. Hot Water Music is from the early emo days, Census Fail is from the very late emo days. So there's a there's a scale to the, the genre. When did it, uh, this come out? This song came out in 2002. Okay. So a bit after Hot Water Music. Okay. Census Fail formed during the peak of emo's time in the mainstream light. The clean vocals leaning towards a nasally pop punk sound with the, the clean vocal delivery. The screams were far more so like the the clean vocals were a lot more nasally pop punk and the screams were much more of a shriek whereas in hot water music it was like a growl yes so that's kind of the change that happened over time but extremely interesting fact the genre between hot water music and census fail is not the only thing they have in common okay one of census fails former bass players Jason Black was one of the founding members of Hot Water Music and still plays in Hot Water Music to this day. Really? Yes. Wow. He was not a founding member of Census Fail. He played with them for like, Hot Water Music broke up or went on a hiatus for like four years and during that time he became the bass player for Census Fail. Okay. I find that extremely fascinating because wow. the people I know who are into Hot Water Music and the people I know who are into <laughs> Census Fail would not get along with each other Very different people. at all. But, connection. 
So their band name has a pretty pretentious origin. Ooh. This is a quote from the lead singer Buddy Nielsen. In Hinduism, they believe that being alive is hell and that the only way to reach nirvana is to ultimately have no attachment to anything. So people go out and live in the middle of the woods and they don't eat and they don't drink. They just meditate because they've reached such a high level where they're not attached to love, relationships, or anything. And if you want to reach the highest level of being and see God, you have to have all of your senses fail. Based off of how these guys looked in the music video... You wouldn't believe there would be like a Hindu origin. No, you wouldn't, because they look like a bunch of 16-year-olds <laughs> trying to like look edgy. Hardcore. But, I guess... I, I, I don't know what I'm trying to say. It feels kind of weird that their na band name draws its origin from Hinduism. It does. Yeah. So, let's see what you thought of Bloody Romance. Boom shakalaka. <laughs> Got some pop punk. Surprisingly good video. You and me are like one heartbeat, which is a lyric. Yep. And you, Max agrees with that. He says that's very true. The band looks like the lead singer's younger brother. The band looks like the lead singer's younger brothers. So they look like they shouldn't be the ones singing. Every, okay, so it looks like the singer is the older brother and that every other person are the band, his younger brothers. Or just his younger brothers okay. or cousins and stuff. So when you say that the bassist, maybe not for this video. It maybe. was not in this video. Okay, that makes more sense because yes. it's like, that, they all looked like 17 year olds. Like little kids. Yeah. And they were when they were, I think, between 16 and like 18 years old. Like I said, this is the okay. first thing they ever did. So oh, they were okay. they were kids when they when they put this. They out. were really good. So the music video depicts the the band singing and playing in the basement of a dilapidated house, and these scenes of them singing are intercut with scenes of what appears to be a dysfunctional family living in this abandoned house. There are scenes of neglect and argument with this family, and then. It is also intercut with scenes of the lead singer, whose arms are covered in blood, kind of walking around the house and breaking stuff. Uh, the music video ends with all of the band members smashing the fuck out of their instruments. The music video kind of hints that the lead singer of the band might be this little kid that is shown in the family. Yep. And the whole thing's kind of shot in a grimy sepia filter. Mm. So you like the music video you said. I do um, want to elaborate on that. Okay, go for it. <laughs> go for it. No, no, that's all we can say. Oh, shit. The, just so everyone knows, Max likes the music video. Huge fan of the music that's video. It. That's okay. all you need to know about me. Okay, elaborate away. So, um, a little background about me. I'm a film major. Jared, you knew yes, this. Um, know that. So, the idea behind this um, pop punk music video is that the family doesn't get along. And there's a lot of anguish and angst about that, and you just gotta smash the fuck out of that guitar <laughs> to, to like vent, express yourself, sure. which is not an original idea uh, at all, uh, especially in this genre. Uh, but I am fascinated about storytelling and music videos. How the song kind of you, you could, some music videos do you use dialogue and like scenes mm -hmm. and stuff like that. 
but for the most part, like this is a, it's just a song over this sort of scene that's unfolding, and the way that the, you have to visually explain that or show that is, um, I think, very fascinating. Uh, and that they actually did not that bad of a job. For their first um, release, they did have a little bit of a budget. Yeah, I will say, I was a bit impressed in that if they were kids like that, they did put together a coherent story. And yeah. I will say, like you said, it is interesting telling stories in a music video. You have a very short amount of time mm -hmm. to get across an idea. And because it's a music video, you also, a majority of it, I mean, this was their choice, but had to depict them singing and playing the song. Yes. So they had also true. maybe a minute and 30 seconds at most to tell the story of this family. Of a dysfunctional family. So yeah. it's not a very complicated story. It's pretty easy to get across with um, a couple scenes of people visibly arguing. But um, I, I wish I maybe would have taken more notes on it, but just the, yeah, they do do at least a somewhat decent job of this very overplayed and cliche sure. idea. Yeah. I can agree to that. Yeah. It was a little cringy at times, I feel. Oh, yeah. But, you know, going back to when I was in 10th grade and listening to Census Fail, mm. I'm sure I totally could resonate with... Relate to that. Yeah. So it's probably I'm just too old and jaded at this point <laughs> to, like, appreciate it. But I can... They did... It's a nice looking music video. Yeah, I like, yeah. you said it was sepia, that's yeah. the filter on it. I think that really, and I also want to point out that it, it kind of reminds me of a farmhouse. Yeah, it looks like an old farmhouse. So there's a sense of like old um, isolation sort of being far away from things. Sure. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. No, man. <laughs> Your guess is as good as mine. Yeah. So the lyrics of this. I kind of got the idea that the lyrics were trying to signify the sense of a lost relationship. The The word romance in the title would seem to hint at it being about a relationship of a romantic nature, but the music video seems to hint at more of like a family. Familial. And I, usually you wouldn't use romance when talking about your relationship with your family. Mm. So I'm kind of wondering how, because you know, sometimes you'll see music videos where the music video is trying to depict the story that the lyrics are singing. Yes. But sometimes they seem to have nothing to do with each other, more than just a mood, so I'm trying to, I'm curious if I'm supposed to like take the lyrics and apply them to the music video. Because mm -hmm. there's also, there's like imagery of self-harming and suicide used in the song, like cut my veins and heart and hand and bleeding on the bathroom floor, yep. which in their defense is also just a very popular trope used by third wave emo music, self-harming depressed thing. Yep. And then if you look in the music video, the lead singer, there are scenes where there's like blood running down his arms. Yeah. So maybe it's supposed to be like that, but he's also like smashing the wall with his hands so i don't know if the blood's supposed to be He's coming from that at or the not. wallpaper yeah and the song begins if you're just reading the lyrics with this idea that two people are meant to be together like the lyric you wrote down that you like uh, heartbeats as one yeah that was supposed to be ironic though oh, okay yeah you and me are like one heartbeat yes. which i thought was very kind of overplayed it's extremely overplayed but that 
gives that idea of like we're meant to be together. Yeah. But then by the end of the song, the narrator seems to be very hostile towards this person he's singing with, like, you lie, I win. I, I, I didn't write down all the lyrics, yeah. but it was like there's some screaming. It was like voice. a yes, there's a little bit of screaming. A little scream at the end. Also, not the best screamers. No. Not the best screamers at all. It's always so embarrassing. Maybe that's the most cringeworthy part for me is when there's this sort of hardcore outburst of like, ah! Yeah. But it just doesn't come out there's, the way. There's no oomph in his scream. No. And Not at all. Whether that's something they did on purpose or like you're saying, it was like the change from hot water music to a couple of years later to more of a pop friendly vibe. If that was the case, or if that was just the band's personal style, it doesn't really, it just kind of no. is like inadequate. And I think it's been a long time since I've listened to Senses Fail. They got better at screaming as they went on. They matured. They did. Physically. They, they literally went through puberty. <laughs> <laughs> and they physically matured. In their voices, yes. And I'm sure they also just got better vocal coaches and whatnot but yes saturate the production they you could tell they were trying but it's just it's almost like a whisper a scream <laughs> it's like <sighs> maybe that's what they thought screaming was back in maybe TV. well no hot water music was a little bit more hardcore yeah than that, so no that, that's true they, yeah that guy had a much more of a Rough. projected gruff scream yell than these guys did all right well that kind of wraps that up uh, what was your favorite of the five if you had to pick one? Ooh, um, I mean, it's gonna be a bit of a toss-up between Pond Life and All is Full of Love, but I just, I think Pond Life, honestly, just because of the ambient nature of it, I could actually see myself going back and listening to this song. Yeah, I, when I was going through these songs, I was trying to guess what you would say, and I kind of guessed you'd say Pond Life. Yeah. It kind of seems your vibe. I know you're the one that introduced me to the Hotline Miami soundtrack. Yeah. And while it's not as upbeat as those songs, it did kind of have that groove to it, I feel. Similar, absolutely. Um, what was your favorite song? I think I'd have to go with All is Full of Love. Yeah. I just, I love, the, the, I love Trip Hop to begin with. I almost, I always wish that song was a little bit longer. I didn't like how short it is. I wish it would extend a bit more. When, when I read Bjork, I was like, oh shit, it's, it's going to be, be like a, a half 20 hour. minute ballad. Yeah, but no, it's just like four minutes. Yeah, it's short and sweet. And another thing about that music video I think that I forgot to mention is that, <clears throat> excuse me, it's on permanent display at the Museum of Modern Art in New York City because of how revolutionary it was at the time that it came out wow it's commonly considered one of the best music videos of all time wow yes it highly highly regarded that's yeah yeah i think i'd have to go with bjork all is full of love i just now when you say trip hop is like one of your favorite genres who is an artist i don't know if i could say it's one of my favorite genres i always like it i don't know enough about it but what comes to mind is like how to destroy angels that's trip hop. That's trip hop. Wow. So it kind of, it's like a mix of electronic and hip hop beats with kind of like glitch influences. Very interesting. So yeah, it's usually, it's not actually hip hop music, but it's like a hip hop sensibility with more like electronic overlaid. That's a horrible description, but it's kind of that that vibe. Okay. How to Destroy Angels. That, yes. Yeah. Okay. That paints a better picture. Or like, um, 
Have you ever heard listen to Massive Attack? No. You ever watch the show House? Oh, I have seen episodes of it. Okay, so are you familiar with the opening title song? It's got like a harpsichord and it's kind of got like a really just hip hop beat to mm-hmm. it. Yeah. That's a band called Massive Attack. They're, I think, kind of like the go to idea for trip hop. You know, a great idea for an episode. If you ever do any like bonus episodes, it would be to do like the top five uh, themes. Theme songs? For for shows, for hour long dramas or something. Because there's some really yeah. good ones now that oh. you mentioned that theme song. Massive Attack is great. Did you watch The Jinx, the song about Robert, the show about Robert Durst? No. Okay, well, they chose an Eels song for the intro for it, and it's perfect. But we can save that for another episode. Rome's going on an hour and a half. Okay. So, I guess here are your tracks, your five tracks for the next episode. I'll list them. Usually I do this live, but since I'm in Minnesota for the holidays, I don't have my computer in front of me to do that. So you're just going to have to believe me that I didn't doctor this. This was what came up on Shuffle. Sure. First song, Crossfire by Goddamn Electric Bill. Second song, Protection by Ben Folds. Mm. Third song, F-C-P-R-E-M-I-X by The Fall of Troy. Fourth song, Land Disasters by Blank Mass. And the fifth song is Defend You by Silverstein. Other than that, I hope everyone's had a good holiday. Max, thank you for being on this with me. Thank you for having me, Jared. Yeah, you're welcome back anytime, and I hope everyone has a good week. Bye. Bye.